Matt, as uh, we were preparing the world class studios, um, you know, we ran into some, some some minor trouble, and I think this brings us back to what is the most uh, truest form of debugging and fixing a problem. What is always the answer? What it, when your kids come to you and they say this thing is not working? Well, what, what do you do? Because I, I, I've trained my children to do this all the time. And like, but you just, you kind of had to give me a little, a little, a little refresher course in the thing. What, uh, what is it? Did you unplug it and plug it back in? That's right. That's just or, what guys, that's, what's bringing you this podcast today is Matt had to remind me. Cause I was like, I was like, oh, man, you know, upgraded to Catalina. And, yeah. and, and then I started to think of all these like bad things that I've done and it's going to be bad. It's not going to work. I'm making it really complicated. Like, Oh, it's probably the device drivers. And then Matt, you're just like, did you turn it off and turn it back on? And then what did it do? <laughs> what did it do? Work like it a worked. champ, my friends. I shouldn't say that yep. until we get to the end of the podcast. It seems like yeah, it's working. Uh, ho- hopefully this doesn't sound like hot garbage, right? Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't really matter. So for everyone out there, the, the lesson of life is just turn it off, turn it back on. And if that doesn't work, do that two or three more times. And then only then do you investigate more complicated situations. And, and, and then Google for a bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Google for a bunch of inaccurate answers. And then eventually yeah. there's like one thread that has a million like, oh, thank you. Thank you. This worked. That's the thread you're looking for. So so my like, you know, this this is a tip, but it doesn't belong in our tips. It's, it's very relevant. When you're doing Google searches, go over to the far right um, and where it says like uh, tools, uh-huh. you want to change to any time and then you want to use oh, it to filter. Uh-huh. Yes. So you can say like, you know, I'm looking for like, uh, for example, yesterday I was looking for Raspberry Pi under voltage for SSDs. <laughs> and, <laughs> hypothetically, and, you know, this is a completely hypothetically. hypothetically, hypothetically. And, and you know what? I didn't want to see stuff from a year ago. I wanted to see it from the last month. I like you it. Know, so if you, you could put that filter on there and, and actually, you know, get only recent conversations because i don't know where people are talking about this stuff they're talking about all over the internet but i knew i didn't want to look at somebody complaining about you know last year's release or you know two years ago how it used to work i wanted to know like who's seen this busted stuff now i like it so another hypothetically if you needed to search for example uh mac os catalina OneDrive, missing icons and finder you could use that because you because it's unlikely the 2015 thread on the uh, the Apple board is going to answer the Catalina missing OneDrive icons question, right? Yes. That would be another, yes. hi- again, purely hypothetical situation, right? <laughs> if you were to have some of these issues. Yeah. So, so Catalina, it's working out well. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, you know, with uh, we're gonna have a whole that we're, we're gonna need a whole hour on Catalina, so we're not. Well, we'll save that. That's that's a little teaser for the end, guys. But uh, I do think uh, it's just funny, like uh, that with all the AI stuff in the world, like. Why doesn't Google just figure that out? It's like if I'm searching for, you know, this is my, this is always my gripe about all this machine learning. It's like who wants to see 10 year old threads on obscure things? Like I'm sure they have great page rank because they were once great answers to technology no one is using anymore or is using right. very much in production. So it does seem like, wow, that is a great tip and I'm going to use it extensively. Tools only in the past few weeks. It does feel like the people at Google with all this machine they, learning, it feels like they could figure that out for us. Like, why do well, I have to do that work? Yeah, and it's got to be self-reinforcing because, you know, it showed up at the top search so somebody clicked on it. So it was like people, 
Google's algorithm is probably like, hmm, they clicked on it. must be relevant. It's like, no, you put it first, right? And so it just keeps staying there. People are like, oh, this isn't what I wanted. This is from 2013, right? And then you, know, you go back and you search again. And like, I'm sure they don't have the context to be like, well, last time we searched for this. And then it came back and changed this one word and checked the time filter, right? Like, but I don't think there should be like a whole team that's just thinking about this, like these events, this uh, idea that like there's a, Google, a team of Google – whether it's a recent event, a software release like we're talking about, or like a more recent, like uh, major news events, because occasionally it does this, it'll actually show you like a news article on it, right? It's like, mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. and that's smart, but it's, it does seem like there's all these other things that aren't necessarily newsworthy, but like a major operating si- system release is a good example. Like you would think you'd see a flood of searches, right? Where people are looking and desperately searching for random fixes well, to things that are broken. Um, and that this seems like they, they would be working on that like nonstop. They would be figuring that out for I'm, us. I'm, they, they must have it in there though. Cause like yesterday I, I Googled for, uh, for skiff, uh, to see what that stood for. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I had a general idea of what it meant. And, uh, you know, and, and when I, when I Googled it, like the top at the top, it was like top stories. Mm-hmm. So clearly I'm not alone and wondering like, you know, I was like, oh, it must be some sort of secure room, and but I didn't know if it was like, you know, a physical thing, you know. So, um, you know, that was an example of, yeah, they were right on top of it. It didn't show me something mm, like, you know, I don't the, know. the ISO standards for how to roll out your own skill. I don't give them really yeah. any credit for that. That's a word that's been Googled <laughs> a bunch and it's been out there. It's like well, it's – it's, but again, that has some historical pretext. Like it could have been searched on before. Like I, I just think like, hey, major release of new software for Android, iOS, all these things. There's a flood of searches, and you always get the oldest stuff first. You're never like, whoa, perfect. They answered my question yeah. on the first try. But Skiff or anything that's like a Wikipedia article is like, sure, like they're going to give you the the latest greatest link to Wikipedia. Fine, but like you know, work a little bit harder on the latest and greatest text. I mean, maybe it should be a whole nother thing. It's like tech. Uh, um, I don't know, like tech support Google, right? Where you're just what, like, what if, what if I told you that's how Bing worked? <laughs> <laughs> Bing, like what's that? Like, no I one's. I don't. Fix how do, Google. How do yeah, I get to I Bing? Fix Google. Like how do yeah. I get there? Like where is Bing? It's it's not even available to me on the internet. So yes, exactly. I don't care. Fix Google. Uh, all right, Matt. Before hey, there's another big, big news. I read on on the uh, on the internet here. I wanted you to ask ask you about it. Evidently, two things are true. One, your oldest son is now 16. Is this true? <laughs> is, that, is that accurate information? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Now, here in the United States, the 16th birthday, I know it's with this millennial crew. It's a little different now. But during yeah. our day, and then the laws are still, the, that is the age where almost every state allows you to drive a car without a parent, or at least they give oh, you the yeah. license without doing it. Yep. And, of course, it's uh, – a for our generation, it's it's I mean a downright right of passage, right? For this new exactly. generation, they're like a little less interested in driving. So my question that I would need to understand is what what are the driving laws in Australia? Do you, you get a driver's permit at sixteen years old? Nope. <laughs> no, like do you get it earlier? Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, so here in um, New South Wales, you know the Australian state I live in, uh, the driving age I believe is seventeen. So. Okay. Um, he could, I guess, in theory, um, get a learner's permit eventually, uh, but yeah, it didn't didn't even come up. Like you know, and and I think I think in Victoria, the state where Melbourne is, mm-hmm. um, I think it's eighteen. Um, so there's not like you know, there wasn't a rush of you know, oh, I got to go get my driver's license. It was just like meh. You know what what I did get was 
Uh, I have to get a new bus pass because I'm not a child anymore. <laughs> oh. So there's not even is there is this like because you're in an area where like having a car, driving a car is not convenient, or is it just, is this part of the you know as we put into the large stereotype of of young people today? They're just like I don't care. I don't even want to drive. I, it, it kind of fits into a little bit of the the stereotype. I mean, um, you know, mass transit's really good here. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's had he's had his bus pass and. You know, he's perfectly happy to go far and wide on the bus. And, you know, that's pretty much why he has a smartphone. I mean, I'm I'm one of those like ogre parents who wants to, you know, restrict how much Internet access kids have because, you know, this place is a cesspool. Um, but uh, <laughs> he has a smartphone so he can look up bus schedules <laughs> okay, and maps and stuff. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's he's quite self-sufficient with uh, the Google Maps. And uh, and this, this the New South Wales bus buses and uh, occasionally a train or a ferry, but uh, yeah. All right, so he's kind of already not, not a lot of he's got a lot a little taste of the freedom already because I think that's the big thing in the United States yeah. when you're 16 is that I mean I don't want to say nowhere, but outside of like New York City and a few other metro areas, you don't I don't know people aren't really taking the bus anywhere meaningful. Like you you have to have a car to get right. get anywhere. Right, right. So yeah. give as I mean, a teenager, it, it, that's like freedom. Go away. Go do what you want. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's uh, a little in joke, like really dating myself. There was this show back in the day called Home Movies um, and Squiggle Vision. I don't know if you ever watched it, but it was uh, the, the 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 joke was, you know, the dad was always telling his you know shiftless son, "Hey, why don't you just take the bus?" And then the son was like, "Dad, who rides the bus?" And then they both go, "Poor people." Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's like. That's how it is in America because the buses are terrible and they're unreliable. And but here it's like it's great mass transit, right? Like everybody rides a bus because they get their own lane. They're fast. You know, it's good stuff. You know, the, so, you, I can tell you've been in Australia too long. That's like fi- violating, you know, core American narrative. It's like, wait a minute, if we just made mass transit better, we'd all use it. And people are like, no, like people, that that is that is not an acceptable idea here. We just right. we just keep making it worse, and and suddenly <laughs> people don't want to ride it anymore. No idea why. Yes. No. We can't figure out why. There's there's very little cause and effect. We're doing a study on the cause and effect of that. Right, right. Well, my, my wife just got back from uh, uh, a week in in, this, in, in Austin. Um, and, uh, you know, the, like one of the first things she said was like, God, I hate the traffic there. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's changed on that. I can, I can confirm Nothing that. Well, it's so funny. It's gotten worse. I think yeah. it's funny your son is and maybe I'll just have to find my way, way over. My son's obviously much younger than your oldest, but. To, to this day, he loves, he dearly loves the bus. He loves the schedules. He loves riding. This is a nine-year-old. So uh, oh, yeah. I don't know when he'll outgrow it, but he just, he loves everything about mass transit. It's like, you can just go on mass transit. I, I think if you ask him today, what's the best thing about New York City? He'd say the subway. He loves it. He doesn't, people complain about yeah. it there. He's just like, can't get enough. Let's just ride it around. It's like, all right, we'll ride the subway around. So yeah, yeah. Well, con- my kids are fans. As yeah. I say, congratulations to your oldest son becoming 16 and you officially becoming, um, I mean, gosh, I guess college isn't too far. I don't know. I know. Uh, Do we even have college in Australia or is that even backwards? But up here, uh, that would be getting close most, to Australia. Yeah, mostly they just go and walk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, they have very fun colleges here. Well, good. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that, and I look for it. When did you get your driver's license? Do you remember? Like, was it like? Oh yeah, I got it like the day I turned 16. All right, right. So, I'm just checking. So there was definitely, you know, uh, taking driver's ed after school, and you know, uh, taking you know the driver's test and all that fun stuff. And yeah, it was very much you know rite of passage. Um, 
and and you know and then borrowing the keys from my parents and you know all that fun stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally did. I just, you know, I always think it's interesting how that's, that's it's kind of, I don't know, in some ways that's sort of sad, but like that was such a big deal. Like I think I went the day of, the day I turned 16, right? That's kind of what everyone did. Like you went and took the test, got your license and life was good. So, uh, yeah, the youth today, they don't, they don't know how good we had it back then. None of this <laughs> iPhone, no, no cell phones or anything. You just got yourself a car and you had to go drive right. to see your friends. There was no texting. Well, yeah. But the funny thing is we were talking about, uh, you know, an older gentleman we know, like in apparently in, in, in New South Wales, you, they have you have to have like a, a, a check that you're capable of driving as you get older, right? That you you know still healthy enough. And I was like, I can't wait to give up my driver's license. I want that automated car. I, yo, I want to be on the mass transit. That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> Not for medical reasons, but you know. Well, it's kind of funny how we've traded. Uh, you know, if you think about it, you're saying about how you're concerned about, rightfully so, right? You know, giving your your son a or a, a cell phone, a mobile phone of any kind, a smartphone, and you know, maybe like limiting that. But like you know, in our day, it's like that's what you got. You got you know access to like a three thousand pound machine that you could just drive around and potentially kill people at, at will, right? And just yeah. you know, because you're either incompetent or just didn't know what you're doing, or and so it's uh, so I don't know, maybe, but it's, that's maybe it's a societal question. The fact that all these kids are on their phones, at least they're not driving around and uh, when they're not ready to drive. But I don't know, but maybe that's bad. Well, yeah, and and I mean the statistics coming out about like uh, pedestrian and bicyclist fatalities going up—that's what it's related to, right? <laughs> Every, everybody knows it's phones. That's right. Yeah, not me. Your phones I've, are I've you never... know, marijuana legalization, and that's not very popular. That's right. So. No one, no one on this podcast <laughs> has ever checked the cell phone while driving. I know that. Well, I know, I know we all I, have the power to not do that. Yeah, and the, the thing that will undoubtedly drive a lot of American listeners batty is one of the things they do that is coming in new south wales is um you know they've got traffic cameras you know they they mm-hmm. do the, the speed oh, cameras wow just mail you a ticket now they're going to do cell phone cameras oh that's they're going to see they're going to take pictures of drivers so it's like some cool ai and then you have to go yes. in there and be like no this wasn't a yeah. cell phone this was a mirror no i was reading a piece yeah. of paper or i was uh exactly. I, don't, I don't know like what are all the excuses you'd come up with like i was I that know. wasn't my cell phone someone gave me that phone and i but had to look be at a it photo of you holding your cell phone Oof. Oof. <laughs> that's, that's that's good you know what would work well though is if they banned you from using a cell phone from 30 days for 30 days if you got caught mm. that would be like the most effective thing i've seen about monitoring cell phones is i went to tour the pentagon and the first thing and they take you through in the little briefing room and they have you know people from every branch of the military and they give you like the quick briefing of the rules they're like yeah if your cell phone goes off um we'll take it away from you and then you have to go through this process to get it back and she says that process really doesn't exist. You're never getting your cell phone back. So please turn it off. Right. And I was like, and that was, well, and so I turned it off. I was like, yeah, like if, if, if the penalty is never to have the cell phone again, at least for this, you know, in this case, I was like, I'll turn it off. So, so I think that would be the same thing driving. Like if you got caught, you, they just said like your account, you cannot have a mobile phone for 30 days. It would be, I think, very effective. I mean, maybe it'd be too much, but it would be very effective in getting people to not, to not look at their phones. Yeah, I mean the, the when I went and got my passport renewed at the the U.S. consulate here in Sydney, they just they had you checked in your phones. They're like you can't bring electronic devices in here. Yeah, no, that, that makes was sense. Fine. I, yeah. you know, uh, if you really, I'm do- surprised the Pentagon didn't do that. Yeah, it makes sense though, right? It actually does make sense that if you um if you really are that. Uh, although, and then I did the visit though. I was like, I don't. And then uh, again, walking around the Pentagon, what did I see? 
a whole bunch of people, civilian and military people, carrying around their phones and using them. And I was like, I don't know. Something seems a little weird here. Like, is it really national security risk if I'm walking around here with my phone? Like, I don't know. Just, but, but nonetheless, I didn't challenge them. I turned it off. <laughs> In fact, I didn't even I had to turn off my phone so long. I was just like, how do you even turn it off? Like, I just never, I never turn yeah. it off. I didn't purpose. This phone doesn't turn off. I was like, yeah. does it have this feature? But I finally figured it out. So, way to go. Well, Matt, you know, more importantly, um, it sounds like you're trying to keep track of, of your child as they go around, you know, and sometimes you want to keep track of things that are going on in, inside your software, make sure nothing bad has <laughs> happened or make sure your software hasn't been in any bad bus stops. What, yep. uh, what, what software out there do you think we have that could help that such a problem? Well, Brandon, I'm glad you asked. This episode is sponsored by SolarWinds and one of their application, uh, one of their APM tools, Logly. No one wants to find out about a critical operational issue on Twitter. With SolarWinds Logly, you can spot issues before they affect users by setting up alerting that will notify you immediately when a problem arises. Why stop there? Take it further and proactively monitor your applications using the Logly charts and dashboards to help you visualize what matters and quickly spot patterns across dynamically changing it, interconnected services, events, and issues. Connect the dots across your log data with Logly. Logly is a scalable cloud-based log management that won't break the bank. Plus, SDT listeners get a special 20% off your first-year contract of Logly now until December 31st, 2019, when you mention that you're a listener of SDT. New customers only, void where prohibited. To try it free for 14 days, just go to logly.com SDT, all lowercase. If it logs, it can log to Logly. And, of course, we thank SolarWinds for being such a long time and great sponsor of the show. And, uh, unfortunately, Kote is not this, here this week, but he's actually out traveling right now. No doubt he is finding a new geographic oddity for us that he will tell us about on a future episode. But, Matt, you were recently on a nice trip, and I know you yeah. have a geographic oddity you would like to share with us. Uh, yeah, well, so um... – uh, listeners may have noticed, hopefully, <laughs> that I wasn't on a, an episode or two a few weeks back. Um, I was on holiday with my my family. Uh, you know, I like to do that every school break. And uh, we went up to Darwin in the Northern Territory. It's a big part of, of Australia on the north side. And um, the geographic oddity there is, uh, I believe, uh, 60% of the people there are men. Uh, <laughs> really? Um, yeah, yeah, and it's because like it's it's the outback. I mean, it's it's a pretty rough area. Um, they've got a fair amount of like uh, military there, uh, mining, um, kind of you know heavy heavy industry, and not a lot of other stuff. And so um, I was you know talking about this with uh, uh, with somebody yesterday. Like it looks like Darwin's got about one hundred forty thousand people. Um, you know, it's. Uh, it's a dude town, <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of drinking, uh, a lot of partying. Uh, but, uh, um, that's, that's a bit of the geographic oddity. It was, it was really cool though. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't, I hadn't been up there before. Uh, and what's funny is like, I was telling an Australian about it yesterday. He's like, Oh, is that close to, uh, to Uluru? And I was like, no, Uluru <laughs> is like literally in the middle of the country, and you know it's just like Australians don't really know, you know, their Australian geography all that well either. Like I didn't know that much about the area. So uh, uh, Darwin, um, your other geographic oddity, uh, if you did know this, it was bombed in uh, World War II by the Japanese um, over a hundred times. So wow. um, the 
the Japanese bomb, bombed the heck out of that. Because it's like uh, a strategic area or something, or had some strategic, well, strategic value. Yeah, uh, when the so right after right after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, um, parts of that fleet uh, went south. The Japanese fleet went south, um, and the Japanese also invaded the Philippines right around the you know like a day or two later, and uh drove the americans out of the philippines who like kept going south and like bumped through you know indonesia what well you know what's now indonesia and solomon islands and whatnot and they ended up in darwin and so uh that's the japanese were chasing the americans and so there were actually a whole lot of americans there and uh they had a whole lot of bombing runs you know um and so the, the Australians call it, you know, the, the Pearl Harbor of Australia, because, you know, shortly after Pearl Harbor, um, you know, like a month or two later, they started bombing uh, Australia. They didn't go anywhere else or, you know, other outside of the Northern Territory. They did a little bit of uh, shelling of, of Sydney and Newcastle. But, uh, yeah, huh. I learned a lot. Yeah. Geographic did, did, I was going to say, knew nothing <laughs> about this. This is, uh, you yeah. know, it's clearly like not in, uh, not a highlight in the American history books. Uh, no, no. But so. uh, uh, good, good, you know, interesting, a lot of interesting stuff in Darwin. Um, I, and we went to uh, the, the big national parks there. Uh, they've got a national park that's 38,000 kilometers, um, which is big. You know, it's bigger than a couple of U.S. states. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it was hot and wet and dry and you know uh lots of crocodiles it was it was the outback it was cool well fantastic well listen matt if you're in the outback you know and (laughs) and and you're worried about work right and you're like what's going on you're like you know what what if someone needs to get a hold of you well let me tell you something that you know we have our good friends at PagerDuty, and, and they want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by PagerDuty. In an always-on world, teams trust PagerDuty to help them deliver a perfect digital experience to the customers every time. With PagerDuty, teams spend less time reacting to incidents and more time building for the future. From digital disruptors to Fortune 500 companies, over 12,000 businesses rely on PagerDuty to identify issues and opportunities in real time and bring together the right people to fix problems faster and prevent them from happening again. We're like the central nervous system for a company's digital operations, so we can analyze digital signals from virtually any software-enabled system and help you intelligently pinpoint issues like outages, as well as capitalize on opportunities empowering teams to take the right real-time action. To see how companies like GE, Vodafone, Box, and American Eagle Outfitters rely on PagerDuty to continuously improve their digital operations, visit PagerDuty. Dot com. And I think, Matt, you even have a, a friend, someone you used to work with. Wasn't, isn't Matt Strat- Matty Stratton? Isn't he over there at PageDuty? Uh, I think yep, so. And yep. he's, I see him always yeah. like uh, going to some uh, DevOps day. So you, should, you know what you should well, do? Go find Matt Stratton. Or how does it matter, Maddie? I can never like. I think he goes I, back and forth. I'm, right? I'm like so. not sure. I don't want to act like I really know. But find him at a show. You can ask him about his podcast, the rest of DevOps. But you should tell him, hey, I heard about how great your company is on Software Defined Talk, and then ask him for some stickers or something. You know, see see what see what he's doing. <laughs> you know, so yep, there you go. Of course, we uh, thank Patreon for being a great sponsor of the show as well. All right, Matt. So you know, this week of news. A lot of news. A lot of news this week. And uh, I'm going to start with an op- a question here. Is, is Nike a technology company? Do you think of them as a technology company? And the reason I'm asking this is that the CEO 
formerly of ServiceNow, stepped down, and he is now becoming the CEO of Nike. And listen, I am all for people doing different things in life, taking different jobs, working in different domains. But I will say, when I saw this, I, did, I don't think of ServiceNow and Nike sharing a lot of common customers or even domain or just like CEO training. So tell me, yeah. is Nike a technology company? Well, they've got some tech fabrics. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, well, it's not completely unprecedented to have CEOs pop from one industry to the next, right? Um, I think, you know, Red Hat uh, had a CEO from Delta Airlines. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, Apple famously had somebody from Pepsi. Okay, that went well. <laughs> and I should just to clean that up oh, a little wait, bit. Wait, I guess I need better examples. No, I was going to um, say, John, so the, the ServiceNow, the previous CEO of ServiceNow, now the CEO of Nike, or soon to be, is John yeah. Donahue. And so his background, at least the, the other job that they mentioned was he the CEO of eBay. So I think eBay, yeah. ServiceNow, very much, like I see that's like a different business, sure. consumer to enterprise. Um, and the reason I guess I kind of thought about this, and I don't know, What's your, you know, your full interviewing history? And certainly, I'm, you know, I know you're 100% happy at Chef. You'll never leave, right? But I don't know if you've ever had conversations with uh, someone who's like, hey, like maybe you want to go somewhere else. Like maybe you're like thinking about like, and I'm talking about very slight changes. Like you're like at a like a enterprise tech company working in like I don't know security, and you want to go to man like into monitoring and management, or like you're you're thinking like I'm, I've been working a lot in this DevOps enterprise stuff maybe i should go work in like a consumer oriented technology company like many times right, right. right many times like the the gatekeepers to those jobs be like Oof, i don't know man like we gotta have somebody that's got uh you know this exact Industry kind experience. of experience yeah. right this kind yeah, and, and, yeah. well like very specific like they'll be like like you would talk like a normal person you you talk you describe two jobs to them they wouldn't even be able to tell you what the difference is but a lot of times these jobs would be like yeah yeah you just that's pretty enterprise i don't think you could i don't know if you could grasp how the consumer world works, or vice versa, right? Like, I don't know, man. You've been selling all this like technology and running websites for consumers. It's a totally different world over here in the enterprise, right? So you kind of hear people say this stuff. So when I see something like this, and I granted, I, I hear what you're saying that CEOs tend to do this. It's just like, do not, do the old rules not apply at all? Like, is there really no domain a CEO can't jump from and to? Um, because when again, I was expecting it and I saw it, I didn't have time to put in the show notes. I knew someone would write, you know, uh, back to the whole, um, you know, the, our friends over at, uh, A16Z, Mark Andreessen, right. With, you know, so technology is changing the world, technology is eating the world and stuff like that. And so you knew that was coming. And someone said like every company is a technology company and, and this is a sign of that. And that's why Nike did this. And I, and I thought to myself, like, I think Nike is not a technology company at all. Like, I think they are a phenomenal brand who make very popular apparel and sneakers, right? Like there's really no technology component to this in my mind. Tell me I'm wrong. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure without knowing, <laughs> I'm sure they have some, you know, some SaaS applications where they're like, you know, track your running and, you know, share your, you know, they're probably lightly in that space about like wearables and, but, but yeah, they're not a tech company, but I think, you know, I, I jokingly, I want to say like, well, this is because the guy's coming from software. If you ask a software <laughs> developer if they can do something, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Right. It doesn't matter what the industry is. Right. You can say like, uh, we're going to need you to work in uh, aerospace. And they're like, OK, I can do that. Right. It's like, 
you know, we're back back when uh, in the days when we were developers, like you're going to go work on banking. We're like, okay, you know, now you're going to work in retail. Okay, government doesn't matter, right? You just like, yeah, because software, software. But kind of when you're the CEO, it's it's probably similar. I think a, a harder transition would be going from like you know the the VP or you know the executive VP of, of sales from ServiceNow to sales at at Nike, right? That's probably a bigger transition. Once you're the CEO, you know, you're dealing with like managing the people doing the specifics. Right. So, you know, maybe it's not that bad. You're, but like, you're highlighting on that I think is sort of like inside of this article that I guess that's kind of the nugget I kind of like. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Like being a CEO of these jobs, like it maybe does require a whole other set of skills that are very transferable, like managing investors, right? Um, building uh, Wall Street, understanding how to manage a board of directors, uh, putting yeah. in like a thing. So that all makes sense. But like it does sort of touch on like, okay, maybe that is all true. I'll grant you all that. But it's like, oh, actually being a CEO doesn't really require uh, any knowledge about what the company uh, the problems in the domain that the company is actually solving. Like that's way, way down at the end of the list. We don't even necessarily right. need you to do it, which is, and, and I'll just let everyone, I will not answer this question. This is an exercise for all the listeners. <laughs> you can think to yourself of all the executives, you know, and all the executives you've been with, do any of them fit the bill of like, I'm pretty sure this guy has no idea what the products and services that we have do. And, um, or she, and, uh, she or, or he, um, doesn't seem to have a lot of interest or even aptitude in that area, right? Like, so you can all just decide for yourself, like, if there's anyone that you've encountered in your life at an executive level that maybe potentially uh, fits that bill. Because, because um, let's go the other way. Because then they announced uh, ServiceNow turned around and announced their new CEO, who is uh, Bill McDermott, who is just up until recently was the CEO of SAP. So in this case, I feel like this is about as transferable. Like this is the opposite of that, oh, yeah. right? You're, I mean, ServiceNow to me in many ways is like the ERP version of all, you know, of, of kind of businesses in general, right? The service desk is the ERP, new ERP. So I just look right, at this right. and I'm like, if, if we were, you know, you know, getting into our sports metaphors, like if we were grading this trade, like NBA trade value, I'd be like, oh, Bill Mc, I mean, he comes in as a five-star. Like he comes as a five-star proven commodity, knows SAP, knows the system, knows exactly how enterprise software runs, probably knows every the CEO of every ServiceNow customer. I bet you he personally knows. He's going to come in, and I expect him to come in, put in a system, and you'll see nothing but uh, tremendous new value created, right? And then you look at, if I'm an employee at Nike, I'm like, I don't know. Is this guy like, does he know LeBron James? Does he know, uh, like, does he know Serena <laughs> exactly. Williams? Does he, like, know yeah. how to bring in the great next athlete and recruit them to, like, build our brand? Let me answer that question for you. No, he doesn't. How would he know these people? Like, what would he have been right. doing to know these people? Well, they run a lot of infrastructure, <laughs> and they have IT teams that need service desks. <laughs> I'm going to say, I've seen LeBron with Beats headphones. I think LeBron makes <laughs> yeah. movies. I do not, I've not seen any LeBron service now uh, <laughs> commercials. Like, I don't see him getting involved in, in that. So, so I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's like whether it's a prediction, but someone should uh, um, make, make like, I guess, a quick uh, stock chart. Like, where do the stocks go from here? Like, do we think Nike, is this going to be it? Like, uh, uh, but I, I will say this if, if, if we see a lot of commercials with like PowerPoint in them, We'll know that things have gone bad. Like if it's like if just do it is like a long, if just do it is like six bullet points 
in like, like in 18.5. point five to the right. <laughs> if it looks like a magic quadrant, or he's like, uh, it reduces uh, it incre- it reduces operational cost. If any of that like weaves its way into like this shoot, shoot makes you more productive and reduces operational cost. You'd be like, uh oh. The ServiceNow Uh-oh. people are winning. The ServiceNow people <laughs> are winning inside that or in Nike. Right, right. But but the thing is, like, it would be in every enterprise account. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's good to say. Like, you know if the CEOs of Fortune 500 are all rocking uh, some serious Nike gear and, those, and they're giving endorsements on in commercials, you'll know again. That's a sign that maybe things have gone wrong for Nike. Maybe they, yeah, they, the, the, does Nike make pleated khakis? <laughs> <laughs> It's, I think, I think it's just that one. Well, there's one other, uh, you know, I think this reminded uh, me of our past. Google just hired the, the former Microsoft executive to spearhead G Suite. And Matt, that is none other than Javier, I don't know how to say his last name, is it? Soltero. Soltero, who famously, yeah. remember back in the day, we were at Zenos, he started Hyperic, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think he won that round. I fear it got sold off to VMware, and I think he made a lot of money. And then somehow, I, I, when I saw this, I was just shocked. Somehow he went out and started another company, some type of uh, productivity software that got acquired. But then ultimately, he is now running. He was running the Microsoft Office 365, and now he's going to uh, run G Suite. So again, so he made the leap from uh, operation software, I guess, to uh, productivity yeah. software. So good for him. Good for Javier. Yeah. I remember competing. I don't even, does Hyperic even exist anymore in any format? Is it, no, is no. it the basis of some VMware uh, component it. somewhere? Um, no, I think, I think what happened was they, they got bought by Spring Source right before Spring Source got bought by VMware. Right, so they did kind of the, uh, double, the double acquisition. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what happened. And uh, uh, yeah, so he ended up over at VMware for a while and, and then bounced out. Um, said uh, according to wikipedia he he did uh, a compli and uh they got acquired by microsoft and there he is you know uh, well and you know microsoft over to uh, the g suite so yeah uh well done javier yeah well spring source you should you should have brought us you should have bought zenos we'd still be working hard on zenos and probably making it a huge success you know you know geez. we probably would have been you know managing some sort of a suite over at google that would be discontinued <laughs> that's, that's right that's right we would be i would so, I, would, I would be so, writing the blog post today yeah we're so, announcing so users the end. google products you're welcome that's right thank you thank you we never we had to write it right. we never had to write that post uh well listen i thought the i thought it's interesting because uh I've been using the Microsoft Office 365 suite a lot more lately in my my current employment and um you know, I've, I've noticed one thing about it is that, like, it is nice that it's, like, all the tools that maybe you know and love or hate, depending on your view of Microsoft Office. But the one thing, so this is what I'm interested to see if he does, is that the the ability to collaborate inside a Microsoft document using any of the collaboration technologies, so Microsoft Teams, uh, SharePoint, whatever, it's it's somehow, it's like, I don't know if it's a legacy thing, it just doesn't kind of work, right? Like, you can't both be in the document at the same time without thinking to yourself something bad is going to happen, right? Or without somebody <laughs> trying to, like, save it. it. Or, like, Stop you it. really need to – in fact, someone – I was on a call, and someone was like, do we have – this is, like, old school, but I agreed with it. They're like, do we just have checkout, check-in? Can we can somehow do this, right? Because it was like oh, – because you know be that nice. – I know. But it was just like, hey, we cannot control. Nobody knows what's happening. It's un- But when you're in a Google Doc – 
And, you know, you and I, of course, for the show, we use them all the time. We use a lot of them. Like, we'll have a I whole bunch of people. Though, right? um, yeah, one of them use Dropbox. But like, you can have a whole bunch of people in a Google Doc at one time. And it's just, it's awesome. Like, you see, you can see everyone's cursor and where it is, and they're flying through, and they're typing stuff. Even when you type over, like, it kind of works itself out. And I just think it's like the collaboration inside G Suite is very good. Like, I never feel worried i'm not like hold on matt i don't like like slack you like stop typing let me let me save it did that save show up but i feel like that whenever i'm in a microsoft collaboration project a product of any kind i'm i'm very nervous so this is what i'm Mm. hoping javier will solve he'll somehow go in there and take that like google-ish you know born in the cloud native um editing capabilities and somehow bring that to uh, Microsoft Office, PowerPoint, you know, Word docs and things like that. Uh, do you think this is, is, is this a hopeless dream? Do you think this is going to come to fruition for me? <laughs> uh, well, probably eventually. Right. Um, I mean, Microsoft just had their, their Q1's earnings and uh, they announced that, you know, they made a lot of money with office. So, uh, you know, Javier is moving into a, uh, uh, a, a very important part of Microsoft's earnings, at least. Um, so, Probably they'll fix the bugs. They'll throw more engineering at it. Uh, you know, it must be good enough for what is it, 36 million people or whatever who are using it daily. Um, so, but yeah, here's a, here's a little secret. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. Hopefully, it's not controversial. You know what most people are doing with those Microsoft documents? Quiet, man. Don't don't let anyone else. They're sending them <laughs> as email attachments to each other. Don't say anything. Don't I know people are, like this sort of violates a lot of like our cloud talk. Most people are sending the document, and then at the end, you know, depending on your numbering scheme, you can do like V one, or you can do V zero point one, or and then you go Z V zero point one dash first initial last name slash dash date. But, right? But, I'm just saying this they, is still going on. People are going to tell me it doesn't go on. But GitHub, they could be using shots oh for gosh. versions. It's like it does it. <laughs> It doesn't. So, like, yeah, so we do have check-in, check-out, guys. It's called email. You email the document around, and, again, you pick your numbering system. So I, I like version number dash initials dash date, right, inside of it. That's why you can all – everyone can know what's going on. So I'm hoping, Javier, because, you know, he stole all that money from us at Zenos, and he owes us. So this, this, is, this is how <laughs> he, he owes us. <laughs> he owes us personally, hey, and I hope he – that's what I yeah. want. You know, if you're not going to give me um, – Pace without formatting, you know, that's obviously always number one. Pace without formatting to work correctly all the time, right? Uh, that's that's number one request. Number two request is like fix this editing, this collaborative editing. Like I admit we're all going to use PowerPoint in, um, in Excel and Word forever. They're never going to leave. I mean, I just can't get away from them. Just make it better for me. That's all I want. Just make collaborative editing better. That, that's what we need. Are you with me, Matt? Uh, sure. Okay, <laughs> I'm in. That's I'm in. great. That's great. Uh, not gonna. Matt, not gonna use definitely Microsoft not taking Office. you. To, not taking you to the bat. Are you even using? Maybe Chef's the company. Like, have you guys completely gotten rid of it? Do you not have to use it at all? Well, yeah, we we're a Google company, so we 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 spent about six months on Office 365. Like, right. there was this big push, you know, years ago, uh, to switch from you know G Suite to Office 365 because the salespeople liked Outlook. Okay. And uh, after six months, we switched back because there was mass revolt because people didn't like Outlook compared to Gmail. Yeah, that, I can that, see that. That's the story in a nutshell. And, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, I was one of the loudest complainers because uh, Outlook.com or whatever the emails was yeah. had a, had a cap of 150 email filters. <laughs> and 
And you're like, and literally, how many literally do you have? Like, thousand. <laughs> I probably got two thousand. You know, people are like, you know, co- talking about their inboxes having you know seventy five thousand things, and I was like, my inbox has three. Oh, I love it. <laughs> you know, it's because I have so many filters. Oh. Um, you know, and and that's hard to migrate off of. Um, that is and, and when I tried to bring those over to Outlook, I found the limits, and then I started you know opening tickets against Outlook.com. Yeah, you know, it's like, what kind of BS is that? You know, throw some machine learning at this. You know, I like it. But Javier. We should add that to the list. It sounds like you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to. Like, I don't know. It's, it's I just love the been four or five years. I can see know. the meeting. I can see the product management meeting. Like, like the average user has zero point one five fil- filters. They're like, <laughs> yes. let's just. They're like, what should we? What should we cap it at? Like, I don't know. One fifty. They're like, yeah. No one will ever use 150, and you're just you're in there with like yeah. 7,000. You're like writing a migration script to like convert it all over. It's like, yeah, Matt, no, this is not the right software for you. Please, please, please leave. Please leave now. Uh, oh. Well, listen, there was uh, you know in our uh, neck of the woods, there's always news. There's always news in the the free software. That's what everyone's calling it now, free software. I guess yeah, is yeah. that that is like the new thing. You can't say open source anymore. Like, wh- like why are we doing this? Why can't we just say open source? Who, who's uh, making the decisions that we have to say free software? You know, I think the Free Software Foundation finally won. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I hadn't actually noticed uh, a big transition from free to open source, but uh, you know, people have said, uh, you know, Floss and Free Libre Open Source. You know, they said that for a while, off and on, and you know, commercial. Uh, you know, most of the media says open source because you know. They're, they're happy to, to muddy the waters. There's, there are distinctions to those of us who, who care about the differences between, you know, free is, you know, free is in beer and free is in speech. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there, there are a couple of good articles about, uh, you know, you got the 2019 multiple open source companies change course. You know, we've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, you know, the, uh, A16Z podcast, if, uh, if you're not a listener, um, recommend that. You know, you don't have to listen to every episode because some of them are obviously not as interesting as others. Uh, but uh, they had a, a good one um, the other day uh, interview with um, uh, with Ar- Armand Dagger from uh, HashiCorp and, and Ali Godzi from Databricks, and uh, it, it was a good one. Um, you know, just kind of talked about their experiences back and forth. Uh, you know, obviously I had a slightly different thoughts on it, but. Uh, so what did you, you think? Know, so I, think... I, I thought the nugget I took away from it was the CEO of Databricks or founder of Databricks. So I thought he gave, I believe it was him, so hopefully I'm not misquoting, but he was the one that really gave the definitive playbook of like, this is what you should do. Build, yeah, your, yeah. Open, build your open source software, make it all freely available. This is what I believe. He, again, someone can fact check me. He made, and he said, then what you do is you host it for the customer, right? And yep. this was a key thing that I thought I had not thought about, and I thought it was really insightful, even though it's very simple. And he said, make sure the customer gets two bills. They get one from their cloud provider, which is usually going to be AWS or Azure, and then they get a bill for the, their software. And he said, he's like, yes. if you do that, if you set your structure up such that the cloud provider is very happy because they can clearly see your driving consumption of their cloud resources, the customer yeah. is paying for it, so they see what they're using. So not only are they getting direct revenue, but they're also getting that awareness. And then two, he didn't say this part, but I'll add it, is that your open source software needs to be sufficiently complicated 
or have a sufficiently complicated value proposition that it really does make a lot more sense for you to just pay someone to run it for you all the time. And I think in the case of Databricks, right, I think, you know, I won't, go, I don't, I won't pretend I know that whole stack, but as they went through it, you really get it's, the, it's Apache Spark, right? Yeah, but that, like, that was the, where the, the start was. Yeah, and know, I think, stream processing. But it really felt like I was kind of convinced of like, yeah, you, you, you know, this isn't something you're going to like download and get running in like an hour and then you know feel like, oh, this is so much easier. I really felt like the value proposition was like, yeah, like why don't we just take care of all that for you? We'll get it all mm-hmm. set up and mm-hmm. run, and then we'll make sure that you know you're running on the cloud. And he even talked about. It took them a while to make the switch to SaaS and like really integrate that model. In fact, he even mentioned one of our good friends, PagerDuty, right? Like you know, getting the engineers, like you got to carry the PagerDuty pager, right? And like getting everyone to do that. And uh, and then his point was like, if you do that, you know, because you're really aligned with your cl- the cloud vendor in this case, and you're showing driving consumption, and they're going to let you really drive a business. So that last part, like the idea of like you know really picking something that's sufficiently complicated or provides value that isn't you know very easily replicated, is probably the hardest part. But I think once you've done that, like his, I think his in, his whole uh, structure or logic flow was really good. And of course, you know the news was they, um, you know, of course they're on a sixteen Z, not just because a sixteen is all that charitable, but I guess they got four hundred million dollars on. <laughs> evaluation in uh, a six point billion, uh, and then you know a sixteen z participated in that round. So clearly they're they're pushing that. But that part, like that nugget, I thought was like really good. So if you're starting an open source project today, of anything like that, I think you can almost just use that. And I know that's one of Adam Jacobs. Um, you know, it's like in his uh, what is that thing? Is like software free open source like um, like guide there, whatever that thing's called. But mm-hmm. he talks about like the SaaS side of it. But I was like that that part about like you know don't be afraid to be like I'm going to actually show you how to run it on the cloud vendor and let you get a bill from the cloud vendor. Cause that really aligns interest, right? You're not taking any money from anyone. And I think in the case of Databricks, I think that's kind of really proved to be a, like whoever thought of that for them, or they, I don't know if they thought about it or they backed in that strategy. I think it's going to be key to them like being really successful. What do you think? Well, well, I mean, they, I, in the podcast, you said like, I, I, I believe you said they didn't hit a million dollars till about five years in. <laughs> um and so a lot of the early work was was you know was just getting the platform and the community aligned around them and getting the software right um and yeah it's uh running an open source saas version is the purest open source i guess right because you know anybody could run it but um you know uh, you don't have to worry about what's open source and what's not open source if 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 it's sufficiently complicated enough. And Databricks in the podcast, you said you know they have a couple of products that are not open source, so they're not you know neither neither Databricks neither Databricks nor Hashi is you know a pure open source company. They're both open core um, or you know in the case of uh, Databricks, open core SaaS. Um, <laughs> but uh, they're definitely not, you know, they, they, they both both uh, companies talked about, you know, not having competitors in the same space. Like they, they don't have, none of their competition works on the same projects. So, you know, that was kind of talking about uh, issues in the Hadoop ecosystem where, you know, they had the Hortonworks and uh, 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 the other guys. Um, <laughs> uh, well, there were three of them and now, now they're all gone. Um uh, Mapper and uh, uh, we'll, we'll like the name. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, 
Don't worry about it. But, Cladera. but the point was like Cladera, right? Yeah, Cladera. There we go. The, 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 yeah, the point was like they control the roadmap. They can move faster than anybody else can run, can build a, an alternative. And if you have a clearly dem- demarcated, you know, this is what's commercial, this is what's open source, you know, that works pretty well. And having gone through that transition at Chef, like, you know, we, we had that, you know, oh, this is commercial and this is open source it still causes split brain. And so like hearing, hearing them kind of talk about that, like Databricks, it's pure, right? They don't really care. I mean, you know, they care about the open source. They, they, they get a lot of, you know, solutions out of it, but um, there's not a lot of competition of, you know, alternate Databricks implementations, Mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, people will run spark, but it's, it's complicated. Um, But like on the, on the, the hashi, hashi side, it was like, you know, that line between, you know, what's what's commercial and what's open source are like, oh, the commercial stuff is when you're an enterprise and you need, you know, integrations into, you know, SAML or Active Directory or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know, that that still gets muddy. You know, it, it still pops up at, you know, small companies that don't want to pay or, you know, large companies that, you know, don't think that that is a big enough differentiator and they can, you know, write that, implement it themselves. And so, you know, it's uh, having having made the transition. It's easier, like to uh, you know, from an engineering mind to think like, well, I'm just going to write it and not care where you know the chips land, because um, I don't have to you know split my effort anymore. And you know what, uh, you know what people are using. You know, you don't have to like keep the open source going, where and and wonder like you know, should we be putting more on the open source side? Should we be putting more on the commercial side? You know, it's it's nice not to have that tension anymore. Um, but you know, both companies uh, yeah, doing, have their you know, well multi-billion-dollar valuations. So, but I will say I this: I think uh, you know, if they had a version of that, a supercut of that podcast, the Databricks guy is like, we're all the. I mean, he's he's bringing it. He's throwing fastballs and like unafraid. And because I think the Corp guy, like they've been down, like, what are you doing? And he had some statement. I'm sure you heard it too. It was like, well, yeah, we just, you know, we charge for the things that the enterprise wants. And it's, it's just really clear. And it's, and he says something like, it's really clear. And everyone it works out. I was like, yeah, that's not true. That is a hundred percent not true. Like that is so, but the Databricks person, um, speaker I thought was fantastic. And I think the other part that I liked about this, um, is like, well, where does all this differentiation come from? Cause I think it was Databricks. They came out of academia, right? So they had spent even, pr- uh, before the company, Company, right? They had spent their formative PhD years like working on this. So that really gives you the time. So it isn't like, you know, the whole, like I can write this in a weekend. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah. And, but it, there, I guess where I was going with that was just like, no, these guys had, and I think, I think the whole pro, it was like they, their, their narrative was like, we were really frustrated with uh, the state of database software and how it was working. And there was all these limitations to it and stuff like that. And uh, they clearly solved that in academia, wrote some papers. And then it's like, okay, we're going to start this company because no one else will do it for us. And I was like, oh, that's a good place. That's a good source of differentiation. So I just like, right. to me, like, I like, like, I like my little checklist of like, all right, where is this project coming from? You know, for three or four years of academic work. What are they? How are they solving? It was a sufficiently complicated problem. They've totally come up with a business model that is aligned with cloud vendors. That and it's clearly very easy to understand why you don't want to set all this up yourself and why you would pay someone to do it. So I was like, I get it. So once I saw it, I was like, Databricks, I understand the valuation. HashiCorp, 
I was glad you're on stage. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens there. And then, um, no, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're doing fine. They're doing fine. Yeah, I'm, they're, listen, they're, I'm not trying to say anything. Yeah, they're setting the world on they're, fire, man. They're doing great. Uh, great. I'm glad terraform. they're doing great. Yeah. But I will say this, so we can kind of close this topic on. So Grafana, they just raised $24 million. So, again, we're not going to go because round. We are, are running out of time, Matt. So, we're, again, like, we're going to leave a lot of homework for the listeners this week. All of you can go out and decide yourself. Is Grafana based on some very complicated software that you cannot set up yourself very quickly, that's highly differentiated, that uh, nobody else in the industry is looking at? And do they have an, a business alignment where they, they can actually install it on the cloud vendor for you and, and you get two bills? Do they have all of that together? Because if they have all of that together... You know, it probably makes a lot of sense for the $20 million. If, for example, they have things on their websites like premium connectors that you may want to buy, or my favorite, my favorite is uh, the old uh, um, protect you from liability. You know, that's one of the, the reasons that you should buy. Uh, if that's on the website, that, that could potentially be like a little red flag for you that, that maybe the Grafana one may – again, we cheer all of these companies on. I want to be clear of that. We cheer you all on. We want you all to do well. But potentially there are some uh, uh, indemnity is that's the, the word I was trying to search for. There. If, if, that's, if that's on your website and that is a core reason, support, legal protection, premium connectors, if that is all your, your uh, value proposition is around – we cheer you on, but we worry about you like parents. Just like Matt worries about his 16-year-old. We, we're maybe not sure you need the driver's license yet. Maybe you should just stay on the bus pass with us. Well, so. it's, it's, it's still early days, right? So, like I said, it's an A round. Um, and, you know, probably they have a roadmap that gets them aligned to, you know, feature differentiation where they become a platform and less of a set of additional tools around an open source thing, right? So... I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have a, a good roadmap for it. But you know, kind of going back to the A16Z podcast, the key, the you know, the more I think about it, the key takeaway um, was that the two bills thing. Uh, because yes. if you if you can get Amazon and Microsoft and you know Google and and you know everybody else, if you can get their salespeople interested in your product, that's how you win. Yeah. Right. And the the Databricks guys. I know that they've got, you know, like having talked with some of the partner people for some of those cloud vendors is like, yeah, I know the Databricks guys were doing well. Um, and, and, you know, they had that connection and, and, you know, the salespeople for those cloud platforms were incented to help them out because they were m moving, you know, workloads faster. Um, and, you know, I definitely see some of that. Uh, but, you know, the people who move those big workloads getting aligned to that, see, and that, and that was, kind of one of the issues with with hash with uh HashiCorp with with terraform stuff is like they're helping but they're not they're they're helping the the transition and, and chef does the same thing like they're helping the cloud transition but they're not driving consumption mm. I, and that's the key you have to like make people consume more cloud because that's all the cloud salespeople care yeah. about no, I think you're totally yeah. right. And I think that's really, you know, you kind of said it's like, you know, the drive consumption, make it obvious and don't make it obvious with like these complicated really arrangements Two bills. That is like, I was like, this is so simple and so genius in the way he says it. Yeah. So I don't think he even gets to that to like maybe like midway through, but that's like the key, that little segment. Yeah. I was like, this is good thinking. Like I haven't seen somebody just like two bills, guys, drive consumption, 
two bills. That's how you're going to make a lot yeah. of money. And I think they're going to do extremely well. All right. Well, fi- final uh, thing we're going to hit on here. So uh, Kelsey Tower asked Kelsey Hightower from Google <laughs> asked a quick question. And so maybe we should, I thought maybe we should answer it and then we'll get on to recommendations. So I'll read it here. It was on Twitter. It's in the show notes. Uh, quote, are there any good success stories where a large organization with real customers and has been in business more than 10 years that has been able to sunset their entire stack in favor of a hundred percent serverless architecture? That is Kelsey's high towers question. Matt, how would you answer that question? <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, uh, 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 just Jess, Jesse Frizzell said she'd happy, ha- happily bet a thousand dollars, uh, that, the answer is none, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy to uh, to back that side of the bet. Um, nobody's made that transition. I mean, maybe you know you can probably find some small you know sassy startups, um, but nobody's made that transition of uh, you know switching from traditional infrastructure or even like mostly VMs uh, to pure serverless. Um, I think if you were building something today, that's definitely where you want to start is is you know, get your mind set to that but like the enterprises are big uh, you know i'm dealing with as 400 i'm dealing with you know hp ux and solaris and stuff that like yeah these things have not moved in 10 years and now you're telling me like serverless is where they'll be you know someday maybe i i'd be willing to bet i'd i'd be more worried about this bet in seven or eight years well i have, I have a couple <laughs> thoughts here one is Kelsey Hightower, I hate to say this, he's not going to be the keynote at Legacy Conf. He's not. He's just not. He's not. He's not ready. He's not ready for Legacy Conf. So, but my question is just more back to him. I mean, I kind of read the. I read it a couple of times. I'm like, is he kidding? Is this kind of like trolling us? It's like why? Because the question to me is just very simple. Like, why would any company that is in that position do all of this, right? Because if you've been around for ten years and you're of any sufficient size, right? You're going to have a ton of VMware, right? You're going to have a lot of stuff, right? I mean, it's just by definition, like what would you, like what would you have been doing for the past 10 years? Uh, how would you have been running your company? So assuming like you had success and you had any type of uh, infrastructure, you know, even deployed five years ago, right? It, of course, it's going to be other things. And of course, you wouldn't just suddenly drop everything and move 100% of what you're doing, to this new architecture like nobody would like so i I don't know that was just like i don't and i know kelsey after he's really you know he's really he seems like a very genuine person i met him briefly one time seemed extremely nice and so i believe he's asking the question in good faith like he legitimately was like wondering you know if one of these existed but i i mean to me it was almost like a window into like google i'm like who are the google people talking to like do they i mean um because i i just like i don't think any of these customers exist i mean to your point like i mean i'm you talk to anyone and they're just like i got all the things you said i got all this vmware i got all this unix i got some linux i got some old yeah. something even older that nobody knows how to run we got some scripts yes. and we're trying to get rid of it i mean they're it's not like they're like oh this is where we want to be but there's just an acknowledgement of certain, certain realities so We'll end it on your thing. We're we're happy. Software Defined Talk is happy to stand behind Jesse. We're we're in for another thousand dollars. <laughs> if if somebody yeah. um if someone can we're, prove that I, I'm all in. We're all yeah. in. We're all in and we're ready to pony up another thousand dollars to whoever uh, uh wants to do it. So all right. Matt, well listen, we've uh, we've talked long enough. It's uh, almost time to get out of here. But everybody the most important conference that we need to be talking about is on November 2nd. It's EMAX oh, Conf man. 2019. Matt, where are we at? How's the presentation coming? 
Uh, I got an outline. <laughs> all right, good. Now, we're all set, though. I, I, we're... I've got an outline, and I found out that VLC will will convert MP4 to Og Vorbis. Well, I I like I don't even see. I don't even know really what that means. What you said there, <laughs> like, I, mean, uh, I have not so, heard of the last thing. I don't even is that like a yeah, file format or what is that? Yeah, yeah. So so because the Emacs Conf is is uh, you know being managed by you know Free Software Foundation folks, mm-hmm. they want um, videos to be in a uh, non encumbered format. So they've got their free their free as in. Uh, speech format uh, aug and vorbis is the video codec that it uses so I, I i need to export my stuff to aug vorbis okay all right well listen this <laughs> is we've given know. out a lot of homework on this episode but that's okay i want everyone to go november 2nd go to this emacs 2019 you'll find it in the show notes go there register for the conference support matt uh, in his effort to teach us all a little bit more about Emacs. And I guess Matt's learning about uh, new file formats too. So good for you, Matt. That's Yay. great. So, <laughs> so sign up, support Matt. Uh, the other thing, we've got a couple of uh, listener conferences people talked about. We've got KubeCon in North America. It's November 18th through the 21st in San Diego. There's a discount code. It's really hard to read, but it's in there. If you want 10% off, it's uh, in the show notes. And then our good friend, uh, no SSHJJ, he's working hard on uh, Delivery Comp. It's going to be January 21st and 22nd. In fact, I think there was even a podcast with uh, Matt Matty Stratton about Delivery Comp. So go listen to their podcast. Go sign up. Support JJ. Support Matt. Support everyone. Go check that out. Matt, do you have any conferences that you're going to? Well, just just the Emacs Conf right now. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good enough. I'm not, not just the Emacs Conf. It's like the Emacs Conf. <laughs> uh, oh, man. You know, I don't know. Last week we had a flurry of stickers. Like, where did everybody go? Why did no one email me this week? Or did I miss it? So if you want some uh, some stickers uh, for Software Defined Talk, you should email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. If you do that, I will send you a sticker. I'm happy to send more, you more than one stickers. Um, just send them. Uh, let me know, and I can send them anywhere in the world. You can also join us in the Slack channel where it's been very active lately. Lots of good conversation on uh, lots of WeWork talking in there. Lots of people uh, had a comment on uh, the WeWork settlement. Uh, I don't know if we can say anything new on it other than like, yeah, it's crazy. He's getting that much money. But, uh, you know, I guess it is what it is. That that horse has been beaten to a pulp. (laughs) (laughs) We have nothing new to say. Like, we agree. That's a lot of money. Uh, And uh, we have all the the socials. We got the Twitter. We got the Instagram. We got the LinkedIn. I don't know. We got everything. So, uh, and then Kote, you know, did you know he wrote a book? And uh, if you get in there and you, you put in one of these codes, it looks like he'll still give you some money off his book. So I think it's like $5. So you should – he worked hard on it. I think he's writing another book. So so make him proud. Um, you know, he loves to, to sell more editions of his books. Now, with all that <laughs> with all that said and done, Matt, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, so I, I read a book, not, not Cote's book, but uh, uh, a book called Damon. Uh, it's not – exactly new i think it was like 2006 2007 um uh by daniel suarez uh i think it was his first book and now he's got like you know kind of this cachet as a techno thriller writer kind of guy so it it's a fairly light read um it's uh uh, about like this video game ai um guy kind of a, a zuckerberg sort of figure who dies and unleashes like this rogue ai on the world and uh you know called the daemon and so uh it, it was very entertaining fast read uh kind of read like he was 
planning a movie about it. I don't know if it had, it, it was probably optioned, but if you're looking for uh, some some light reading for your holiday, uh, I recommend Damon. And um, just a heads up, it's part one of two. I didn't know that, so I'm reading. I'm like, wait, that's the end? Crap! <laughs> and then I, you know, I went to the library to check out the sequel, and there was like a nine week wait, so I went ahead and bought the sequel. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, Damon. Uh, by by Daniel Suarez. All right, I'll second I'll second that recommendation. I've read both, uh, and when I say read, I've they're all on Audible. They're super super <laughs> easy, like super uh, fun, fast reading. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. uh, I, 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 you know, it's kind of a guilty pleasure. I liked them. I really liked it. And then you know, I so hey, this is a quick thing. So Cote recommended that book, and I was like, oh, I've been looking for something to read, so I got it on Audible. But then I went back and I looked in my like Audible. One thing you can do is like return books whenever you want if you just don't like them. So this was that book I had already gotten and returned it. I was like, oh damn it! Like I already decided I didn't like this. So I'm gonna try again. I'm gonna try to see if I can get through one of Cote's recommendations. We'll see. Uh, but. Uh, but it's very likely I'll quit. And I, I was just going to say, I haven't really even made that far into Cote's recommendation, but Damon is a lot different than the Cote recommendation. It's very, yeah. very, very late, but I enjoyed it. Um, well, the, the, uh, on the darker side, I uh, finally uh, saw Joker, the, the, the new movie. I actually thought it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. There's a lot of controversy about it, but uh, I thought it was well done. Of course, uh, the main actor in it, um, what is his name? Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix, like, I mean, he always seems like a little crazy, but he's, I think he does a good job. Like, I really think he did a good job with it. I enjoyed it. I think probably it'd be interesting to see how the Academy Award kind of take a view of Joker. It seems like a kind of the thing that you could win awards for. Um, but I enjoyed it. So check it out if that's your thing. It's dark, though. It's definitely not a kid's movie. I, you know, without a doubt. This is not something that's <laughs> like, oh, I'll take my kid to this. Look, Isn't this like the Avengers? No, it's not like that at all. Yeah. Don't take any children to this one. But I enjoyed it. So. I need to get on that then. All right. Well, with that, well, if you want to uh, make sure you go out to uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com. If this is the first time you've ever heard us, you can subscribe there. And if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 202, you can see all the show notes. And I'm sure they're showing up in your podcast player of choice right now. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.